The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here in person, mm. along with Sam Monson. I'm back, man. You are? Yeah. Back from Boston. Working again like the rest of us. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, were, I was on vacation doing the podcast. Yeah, I'm not sure that counts. You guys pulled up my, uh, like a wedding photo of me. Yeah. That's what you put up there on YouTube. I mean, I didn't have anything to do with it. I had a whole plan to have like a cutout of you sitting behind us on the board so that it looked like you were sitting next to me. Can't believe they nixed it. Well, they didn't nix it as much as they changed up the background to this thing and that ruined yeah. my plan. Also, right. for some Next reason, time. we've lost the ability to draw on that thing, which also would have ruined it. We need to escalate that. So the plan, was, the plan was ruined in multiple different ways, and I ended up just having a, like a photo of you in, in sunglasses. I'd like to me. officially escalate my concern that I cannot draw on the board here. We've got Trubisky tears and all that stuff we need to... Not like crying tears, like quarterback tears. Yeah. I wonder, if, I wonder if somebody did that deliberately to stop you drawing ridiculous things on the board behind us. I can't imagine that was a good decision. Did you have a good Christmas? Yeah, not bad. You? Yeah. Great. Excellent. That's good. Small talk out of the way? Yeah. All right. Well done. We're going to change it up a little bit. It's not just your Week 17 review. It's your 2019 season review. Because did anybody tune in to hear about the Jaguars-Colts game? I no. didn't. No. I certainly Absolutely did. not. So we're going to talk about some of the key games mm. from yesterday. A few of them. Uh, later in the week, we will preview in detail all of the wild card action. And then we'll hit on some of the hits and misses that we had because people love to know about our hits and misses. Yeah. I mean, look, so a lot of people keep saying, you know, why don't you guys be more honest about where, you, where, you, where you're wrong, where you yeah. miss? We'll be honest. And we try to be. Look, we, we do it a lot. One of our things that, you, you know, you know, if you listen to this podcast, one of the things we keep talking about, though, is that we don't really want to we don't wanna own up to a miss until we're, all, until we're sure it's a miss. Right. Right. So just because a guy started, you know, we've talked about sample size a ton, right? It takes a long time to figure out whether a guy is good or bad. Just because he has a good or a bad season doesn't necessarily mean you missed right off the bat. So everybody wants to, the second any, some, anybody plays a game, it's like, well, you missed. You got it wrong. And then, you know, two weeks later, it's the other, like, the game doesn't work that way, right? We're not. So we're, we're not, not going to break out. Act. Yeah, we're not going to break out misses after two weeks. Um, but the season's finished, so there are certain things we can look at and say, yeah, we screwed this up. Um, but we so also we'll go hit through. on some things as well. We'll go through all of our hits and misses. Let's start with 
yesterday's action and some of the games that mattered. Let's discuss NFC East. Okay. okay, so the Cowboys come out and win 47 to 16. It didn't matter. Over the Redskins, it absolutely didn't didn't matter. I'll tell you what, if the Cowboys got into the tournament, they would be dangerous. Yeah, but they're not. No. The Eagles are in the tournament. They took care of business against the Giants. We talked ourselves into the Giants, didn't we? Yeah. And to be honest, for a reasonable point, a a good portion game. of that game, it looked like it yeah. was going to head that way. Then Eagles, ultimately, the Eagles were able to do it. They pull away 34-17. to 17, Despite literally like running out of bodies at this point. Like, just unbelievable. Brandon Brooks, one of the latest to go down. Miles Sanders went down. Miles Sanders went down. I mean, we're talking about Robert Davis and Deontay Burnett. And we, Boston you know, Scott played 55 snaps. Your boy. He was their one running back at, at, for a decent portion of the game. Your boy, Boston Scott, really, yeah. really showing up. I mean, just a ton of credit to the Eagles piecing this thing together and that's going to be part of my hits and misses i thought that this was supposed to be a year where on paper the playmakers were incredible yeah and i mean the the injury situation is just absurd there it really is um and honestly like so dallas definitely would have been dangerous in the playoffs obviously which whoever won the nfc is going to host a playoff game right Right. so now philadelphia hosts seattle um, and it, honestly, that's kind of winnable. Like the Seahawks, they are, played a very good game against each other a few right. weeks back. The yeah. Seahawks are busted up as well. Obviously, not to the extent the Eagles are, but they're pretty busted up as well. And you know, Philadelphia remains or retains the potential to be dangerous in any given game. Like Carson Wentz is capable of incredible performances. The skill position <laughs> the players are definitely a problem at this point, but they can still beat you. That pass rush is still pretty phenomenal. Um, the secondary is a concern, but yeah, I, like the Eagles obviously will be the weakest team on paper heading into the postseason, but they're not, this isn't like a gimme for C, for the Seahawks. Yeah. Especially at home and traveling and all that stuff. And with the Eagles, I mean, they've kind of landed at where they were in 2016, which was, you know, just before that Super Bowl run where the playmakers all started to come together and the secondary did they were weak in the wrong spots, right? They had the worst receiving core in the NFL back in 2016, which completely reverted when they went to the Super Bowl. And the corners you know, weren't great. Um, but yesterday, I was really impressed with everybody in their secondary. They made a ton of plays on the ball, a lot of contested catches. Every time they played man coverage, it seemed, mm-hmm. or had a man coverage opportunity, they were right there at the catch point, making things difficult for the Giants. A couple coverage busts and um, you know holes in their zones and stuff like that. But they did a really nice job. Um, you know, contested passes and, and making life difficult for, for Giants receivers for the most part yesterday. So, um, gritty, gutty outing. And this game appeared to cost Pat Shermer his job, which feels kind of harsh. Um, fired this morning. One of the coaches fired on Black Monday. I We were talking about this before we went on. I don't really understand why anybody was under pressure there. Because um, you're, you're Dave Gettleman, right? You're the GM. You specifically sort of deferred getting the quarterback to get Saquon Barkley. He's been pretty spectacular. Not necessarily this season, but huge game yesterday. Obviously, his rookie season was outstanding. You then come back next year, and you get the quarterback. Now, it was a quarterback a lot of people didn't think was a good pick, but at the very minimum, you would say that he's probably outperformed expectations, and the jury is out as to whether he's a legit franchise superstar going forward, right? But at the very minimum, you can say, if you're Gettleman, I'm not wrong yet, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think people just have to be realistic about expectations. Right, at which point you're 4-12. and 12, You could yeah. point to this and say, look, things are heading in the right direction. We had a bit more talent to the defense, and we're in business. Right, and I think 
I mean, coming to the season, we looked at this and we said, look, they're, they're lacking playmakers on offense. And then they got banged up and they were missing a lot. We don't know what to make of Daniel Jones. We thought he was overdrafted. So wh- whatever about the Daniel Jones thing for now. And then defensively, they have been in a slow, steady decline as far as playmakers go. But they drafted a bunch of guys in the secondary and there was some, you know, maybe they could splice that together. And I think there's enough guys on both sides of the ball that you feel pretty good about, okay, these guys are going to be a part of the rebuild and we got to add some playmakers and we got to add, um, you know, more consistency maybe on the offensive line or whatever. But I mean, I think, I think they're headed in the right direction. I also look at Shermer and I say, if you could separate, I, I don't know about head coaching and decision-making and, you know, did he elevate his team enough over the last two years? Like, should they have won six or seven with that roster just for him to keep his job and say, look, you're elevating this four-win team to six or seven wins, so we feel good about you going forward. Maybe he just, because he hit, you know, level set expectations, that's why he's out. But I look at this offense and think, I think he did a pretty good job with the offense. Yeah, I mean, at the very minimum. Eli Manning and Daniel Jones the last couple of years. Yeah, at the very minimum, I would say that to identify Pat Shermer as the problem, if you think there is a problem there, is harsh. Um, I think given what he's had, if you identify all the issues right now with the Giants this season, they all appear to be from an ingredient standpoint, not a recipe standpoint. Okay. Right? There's, there's very little talent on, in, the, in the defense. They're still trotting out Alec Ogletree, for God's sake. Like, this is not a coaching problem. This is a, I need a linebacker problem. Um, they do have David Mayo. They do. You have your boy. Um, the offensive side of the ball, like he's been able to cobble together stuff with a revolving door of receivers who haven't all been healthy at the same time. When they are, the offense looks pretty good. Um, the offensive line, sure, that's a problem. But again, like where are my bodies? You've given me Nate Solder. Nate Solder's not good. This is unhelpful, right? So I, it's all right. It's average. I don't think he even is. Um, I'm just saying that it's, I don't understand. A, so I get if you're if there's pressure coming, obviously it's Dave Gettleman. You're going to be like, well, sorry, Pat. It's you or me, and frankly, it's not going to be me. Bye-bye. Um, I just don't really understand why there was pressure. Like, this was a clear major ground-up rebuilding project, and I would say you could look at that team and say they're heading in the right direction. Yeah, I, I agree, too. Even though the talent's not great, again, I see the pieces. Right. I see the pieces in place, and I also see, you know, a couple good draft picks away. We've seen just what an impact a rookie wide receiver can do for so many different offenses. I think the Giants— yeah, I, I'm, I think the story of my offseason, given the wide receiver draft classes, I'm going to tell every team to double up at wide receiver. Add two legit playmakers to your offense. Dear Giants, Raiders, Jaguars, Patriots, all these teams that need playmakers. It's going to be, I'm going to just going to repeat it all offseason. The Giants are probably in that boat. because it be fun. What, hearing me say the same thing over and over again yeah. until the draft? Because... Say what you want about Daniel Jones, and if we think he ends up being this Jameis Winston-y type of volatile guy, if you give him these playmakers, we've seen that his willingness to stand in there and make plays down the field, the Nick Foles component that we said before the draft, and if you give him more players, and Darius Slayton had, you know, he did some nice things as a deep threat, and Golden Tate and all that. I mean, if you just throw some playmakers at that situation, you're not that far away from a high-powered offense. And again, I think Shermer did a good job with Eli last year, given what they had. And mm-hmm. I think he did a good job with Daniel Jones this year. And now, in-game management and overall team management, I don't know. But offensively, I think they've been okay. And a good job before that with Case Keenum for the Minnesota Vikings. Like This guy right. has had a reasonable run at this point of getting really good um, seasons out of, so far, not amazing quarterback talent. 
So there'll be a lot more to discuss with the Giants all offseason. There'll be a hot-button issue, and uh, you know maybe the Giants want a, a hot-shot offensive coordinator to, to pair with Jones. Yes. There was a play yesterday, by the way, that was – so, you know, Daniel Jones, his biggest problem this season has been – Fumbles. There you go. Turnovers. Uh, he fumbled twice in the same play. Yeah, it's not great. And that play led to points for the Philadelphia Eagles. That's – I just thought, you know, if – so, look – we're obviously all about the highbrow analysis and all that kind of stuff, but a huge portion of my daily runtime is dedicated to what is the funniest possible thing that could happen on this given play. So if you're Daniel Jones, right, and you had your biggest problem has been fumbles and everybody's getting all, you know, whingy about it, don't worry, we'll tidy those right up. And then the guy fumbles twice in one play that leads to a safety or a touchdown. No, they, they didn't. it didn't lead it to points. To they, the, to the right, one. they called him down, so they had to eventually punch it in again. But... Just fumbling twice in the same play is pretty freaking hysterical for a guy who's that's has been been his major problem. Yeah. Now you know it wasn't the best snap in the world, but you know it hit him in the hand. So I just thought that was pretty funny. You that's did, all. Huh? That's all. It was pretty funny. Look, it, it wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't upset the Giants fans somewhere along the way. His touchdown was sweet though. He had a great throw to mm. Golden Tate. Yeah. for a touchdown. It wasn't all bad. I'm just saying that that was pretty hysterical. Such is life. With the Giants. Yeah. Where are we going now? Daniel Jones. How many more of these games do we need to talk about before we oh, I don't know. get on to something of substance? So, so the top of the NFC. All right. 49ers have... Very good game. Yes. 26-21. They beat the Seattle Seahawks. On craziness at the end. So we'll combine those two games. Those, the, the NFC games, right? The 49ers win 26-21 over the Seahawks. The Packers win 23-20 over the Lions. So the 49ers and Packers are the top two seeds. The Saints took care of business, and they were rooting hard for the Seahawks so yeah. that they could get the bye. Ultimately, didn't matter. And they came about two inches short. Yeah. I mean, that was it. it the was, ending of that game was crazy. Uh, it, it particularly was because they, like, let it run when they, event, when they, you know, after the ball was clearly down, somebody picked it up and started running it back the other way. You're like, what the, what the hell just happened? There was a lot going on there. And everybody was setting up the narrative. I mean, every time there's a one-yard-to-go opportunity, everybody's like, Marshawn Lynch, Marshawn Lynch. And they had... First and goal at the one. That So then they delayed a game, right? Yes. So they got down to the one. Everybody had to scramble up. They had to drag George Fant off the turf, who was down hurt, he get was him up to the sprinting. line. He was getting there. Right. So he, he jumped up and sprinted to the line and got down the stands and looked fine. Like, yeah. How hurt were you? How hurt could you be? Because, you know, when you realized you needed to get up and move, you didn't seem to have too many problems. Maybe the adrenaline rush of the NFC West. Right. But anyway, the so they, they finally they scramble in to get the ball to spike it at the one. Now you've got first and goal at the one. And then in all that chaos, you didn't realize. That. So then you wheel on Marshawn Lynch, and everyone's like, right, time to redress the balance from the Super Bowl game. Marshawn's going to punch it in from the one. And then they let so much time wander off the clock, they got to lay a game Delayed and have to back game. it up five yards. Um, the other thing about that hit, decided the game that's the second play in as many weeks where it seems like we've forgotten to care about hits to the head like i mean if it's at the goal line to save the game yeah right we've so we're focusing so much on what the hell just happened was he stopped short did he cross the goal line did he manage to contort his body across the line did he break the plane it's like what about the guy that just drilled him helmet to helmet like that's a pretty clear penalty these days there's a couple plays a game where the NFL just kind of says, let the gladiators play. Let's it's, go back to the 70s and just these guys are fighting for their life for every yard, every inch to win the game. So if there's an accidental blow to the head to stop a touchdown. It's honestly like they can only focus on one thing at a given time. It's like if the ball was long gone and you get cracked in the head, it's like, all right, penalty. 
But if we have to start thinking about whether he had possession, was it over the line? It's like they don't even it's the 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 helmet to helmet thing is like the third in the line of succession of things we can focus on. What about so it's like nah didn't even happen. There was the uncalled penalty, the little holding holding penalty. I mean, look, Seahawks fans might complain about the refs a little bit. Wilson missed a few touchdowns. He had um, Chris did a great job. Great job, boss. He's like, hey, watch Jacob Hollister. What? I give credit where credit's due. Mm. And he he got it right. I'll call him out if he's wrong. Maybe. Maybe Mm. not. But if he's right, I'll definitely say, good job, Chris. But he said, watch Jacob Hollister. And they had the little pick play. He was open on the wheel. And Wilson, there was a little bit of pressure. He, he did get it off before he got hit, but he just missed him. He had a couple other touchdown opportunities that he missed earlier, which I don't think came back to bite, but this one did. Um, so there was more than just that missed holding penalty in the end zone or pass interference. And... I just think the NFL just, they've got enough controversy on their hands when it comes to ref. They don't want these last second penalties to define the game it's just, as much as possible. I, I, I think that's true, but it's just such a fundamentally bad way of doing it that if you're basically, I mean, they've, they've even come out and admitted this. Like Dean Blandino came out and said they specifically don't want the officiating, the officiating to be the reason games are decided. So late in the game, they call things differently. Like, all right, but what you're basically just saying then is that late in the game, you change the rules without telling anybody. That's just ridiculous. Whatever you think about the rules as they currently stand, all anybody wants is for you to call them the same way all the time so that you know what to expect. And I think the helmet-to-helmet stuff is is the same. If you're going to make that a penalty and decide that this is a hit we want to remove from the game, that's fine, but you need to actually call it that way. You can't just decide that, well— this time, there's other things that we need to talk about, whether he actually had possession, whether he scored. So we'll just forget about the fact that he was drilled in the head. Yeah. Yeah, it's, t- it's tough because you – I mean, I understand. I-, I think NFL players understand it too. I mean, if Sherman and Seattle, those guys have been at the forefront of like, you know, get to the line and maybe cross it when you need to. Like they know – that's a skill, Yeah, I think, too, is knowing how physical to be and adjusting to the refs because they study refs. They study mm-hmm. tendencies, and they might, you know, they, they know late in the game, you know. And plus, the thing is, if you're the Niners, always take the penalty, potential penalty, over giving up the touchdown, sure. obviously. Yeah, yeah. Right? And and, I, so there's also an aspect of this, right, where if the NFL wants to actually achieve this, right, i making the game safer by taking some of these hits out, it does require fundamentally changing the game, right? I think they try and shy away from acknowledging that, and just sort of say, no, we can make, you know, we'll change the target point. No, you, you basically can't do that, right? You have to accept that at some point we are going to change the game by making some hits to the point where you can't even attempt them anymore, right? And that's fine. You just have to accept that this is, this is a necessary part of, the, of making the game safer and therefore fundamentally improving it, right? I don't, there's a lot of people out there that would be like, that's making it worse. The consistency but if of we stuff can, is so tough, though. If we can generally accept that reducing the amount of times players are turned into concussed messes by reducing the amount of times they're smashed in the head is a, as an overall positive for the game. It means there are going to be some hits that change, that don't exist anymore. So you get a lot of this where people go, well, what was the defender supposed to do? The receiver ducked into him. He, didn't, he never had a shot. Like, yeah, well, unlucky. There's, there's an extent to which if you deliver State. that hit, it is incumbent on you. You have a duty of care to the guy you're about to spark out not to hit him in the head. Now, there are mitigating circumstances to that, and you can say, look, I didn't try and do it, but the guy ducked into me, 
and that's going to change how severe the punishment is. But ultimately, when you go in there, lower your head, launch in with your shoulder to deliver a blow, it's on you whether that KOs the guy or not, whether he ducked into it or not. I think this is an area where rugby actually does a really good job of it, right? Oh, here we go. Don't roll your eyes at me. I saw that. Here we go. Rugby went through, or is going through the same thing, right? But they're probably like a year or two ahead in the process where they have said, look, there's a bunch of things that are dangerous. We've done studies. The medical things have identified specific plays in the game. We need to remove them. Um, So they've got stuff where it's the same. It's blows to the head, you know, shoulder to the head, all this kind of stuff. And they have like a set framework um, where it's like, look, if you basically if you hit a guy in the head, it is a punishment of some kind. And then whether there are mitigating circumstances like the guy ducked into you, et cetera, determines how severe the punishment is. Right. Whether it's a straight red and a ban, whether it's a yellow card and you're only off for 10 minutes, whatever. The point is they acknowledge that in order to get rid of that hit from the game, you need to basically be draconian and say, look, there are times where you're not going to be able to make that shot. You just have to accept I am now so far out of position or I'm now this is now too much of a problem. I just can't make the hit. So there are going to be times where safety just has to go, look, I, I can't do it. I need, to, I need to stay off and let this go to ground the way it normally would be. I can't make the hit. I'm too late on it. And if you don't, if you go in there and you take the risk, it's then on you whether or not you get it wrong and you knock the guy cold. As much as I detest the headshot discussion, I think you've made a good point. Thank you. It's the risk. So we, it's kind of like how we judge quarterbacks, right? You know, we try to say, well, if you get hit while you're throwing, it's kind right. of tough. It's not on you. But there's certain ones where it's like, I see you, defender, sprinting at me. I'm going to decide to throw it, and I'm going to deal with the consequences. Yeah. And, and if you want to take that risk, thing. that's fine. Right. But you can't then go, well, look, what could he do? Right. Well, what he could have done was not take the shot in the first place. He understood that this is how this is going to pan out, and by lowering my shoulder and going in there, I run the risk of that guy ducking into me and this being a shoulder-to-helmet contact. Can we just leave it that you made a really good point, and let's not discuss <sighs> Fine. head-to-head contact anymore? Great game. I want to wrap this up with the night. I'm just trying to make this a better podcast with rugby talk. That's what everyone wants to hear. <sighs> Wait till I connect it to minor league baseball. The Niners remind me of my minor league baseball career. Other you watched the uh, Leinster-Munster game at the weekend? No? Did not go okay. as expected. All right. Um, Did it? Oh, I was off. I'm off on my rugby analysis. Sorry. <laughs> so Green Bay, Detroit. Hold on. I want to just oh, wrap this up by it? how impressed I am by the 49ers. Okay, be impressed. They have, they, you know, they had that terrible blip against the the Falcons at home, but they went on the road and beat New Orleans in a shootout. Yep. They de- the the number three seed. Mm-hmm. They demoralized Green Bay at which home, which is the reason they're the number three seed. Which is the reason. They demoralized Green Bay at home, the number two seed, which is, again, why the Niners won the number one seed. And then they go into Seattle in the must-win game on Sunday Night Football, and Seattle kept creeping back, right? Classic Russell Wilson, you know, kind of sleepwalk through the first few quarters and then, you know, make some great plays in the, in the, in the clutch. And the Niners had a champ- I called it a championship drive on Twitter to answer one of the Seahawks' touchdowns. They still kind of let them back in, and then they had the goal line stand. The 49ers, from start to finish this season, are battle-tested. They've gone through it all. Now, I have no idea if that means anything in the playoffs, you know, but it, it earns them the number one seed, and it earns them, uh, you know, people have to go through San Francisco. Also that was played, impressive. Yeah, also played the Ravens, you know, as close as anybody. Played the Ravens tight and close. and all. I mean, I just think the nine. I, I, I don't know if we nobody's really studied all, you know, the, the battle-tested teams versus the teams that had an easy schedule or whatever, but the Niners have seen it all. They've won games with defense. They've won games with offense. They've won games with the run game. They've won with the pass. They've won every which way. Mm-hmm. 
And if you buy into that, you would say, okay, the Niners are the most prepared team for the playoffs. And that all, the home field advantage for anybody in the NFC was going to be huge. That made like yeah. a monstrous difference to their chances of winning the Super Bowl. If you look at, I think, Chris's Twitter account, we've put out a, one of our AWS tweets that was there. Their percentage of winning the Super Bowl went from like 7% to 31 or something based off getting home field advantage or not. Well, that and just having a buy. Yeah, right? sure. Because I mean, you don't have to play the extra buy. week because right. there's no chance of losing Of course. Week. But that game so was it's huge. huge for them. So Green Bay squeaked their way past Detroit. This was fascinating because— This is my favorite stat of the weekend, right? The Packers led for a total of zero seconds against the Lions in two games and were 2-0 and in those games. I know. That was crazy. Just walk-off field goals. Yeah, twice. Never led. If Green Bay didn't have to face Detroit this season, they would be the best team in the NFL. But when they have to, if they had to face Detroit 16 times, they'd probably be 500. No, they'd be 16-0. and 0. They'd beat them twice. Having led for zero seconds. I don't think the that refs, holds for 14 more games. The refs may have helped on that Monday night game. They also kind of helped in this one. This right? was the complete opposite of every other Green Bay game throughout the season. They really struggle with this defense. It was it was a weird it was a weird game though man like Rodgers had open throws and he was missing them left and right right how many times did he miss Aaron Jones open many many mm-hmm. times and then you know a lot of people are like well Aaron Rodgers isn't aggressive enough and you know he's conservative and all that stuff how about this for aggressiveness the most 20 plus yard attempts that we've seen in the PFF era Rodgers threw the ball 20 plus yards 17 times that's a lot 17 times it's we've seen guys throw 16 15 this is the most we've seen since 2006 since 2006 he only hit three of them yeah but two of them were touchdowns and they were the two touchdowns that brought him back from 17 to 3 to 17 to 17 well remember like week one Kirk Cousins had a game where he threw the ball period 18 times right no it was 10 10 it was 8 for 10 with like a couple of oh, drop yeah. back. It like 15 dropbacks total right. including penalties. so yeah like 15 dropbacks and Rodgers had 17 deep shots but this was the complete opposite Aaron Rodgers isn't taking shots he's not aggressive enough he was just chucking YOLO balls left and right one of them got picked off and you know the analytics folks on Twitter we've been begging Aaron Rodgers throw more picks be more aggressive and this was the game it's, it was the opposite script that the Packers usually roll with they usually roll out with a really good first 15 plays and they're they're really nice and then the second half they taper off offensively this was the opposite but Aaron Rodgers stayed aggressive kept chucking it up and of those 17 deep balls he threw two touchdowns that ended up being the difference I will say so it's interesting I do think that he's that they are struggling against this defense this idea so the three teams have run you know more man coverage than any other team in the NFL I think only three teams have run it over 50 percent of their snaps and they're all that Patriots coaching tree yeah so Patriots Lions and Dolphins right um so the Lions have caused this Green Bay offense more problems than anybody else because they play a ton of man coverage they they're basically operating the Patriots game plan of you have one weapon we're going to take it away so they're like they're crowding um where uh Devontae Adams is and basically making you you know throw the ball somewhere else but I, but there was a lot of open throws and even in the first matchup the world Rodgers missed some throws there's always going to be some open throws I, the point is he was i think struggling a lot to figure out where to go a lot of the time yeah um but the good news for the packers is they can't face another one of those teams until the super bowl well if I, the patriots make it so i would expand it out and say i think it's more of these single high teams because it's a lot of single high man coverage from the lions Remember, the Packers were so bad against the Chargers mm-hmm. in their cover one, cover three scheme, the well, more, more cover three, the classic Seattle scheme, and then the Niners, 
who run the same scheme. Those are the teams where the Packers have really had some issues this year offensively. So they do have to run into the Niners potentially in candlestick. Mm. I'm going to just always say candlestick. Yeah, I think we should. Have right. you seen there's like a there's a place out there that does like t-shirts that's all based off like old stadium names? Really? Yeah, it's like I still call it candlestick or whatever. That's the t-shirt. Oh, I, there's like a whole series of them. You should get them all. That's your kind of thing. That would be my thing. Yeah. That could easily be my thing. All right, that's that game done. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Look at your efficiency. Yeah, and then the Saints took care of business 42 to 10. It didn't matter, so they're going to have to right. play next week against so the Vikings. So i tell you what we'll do. Let's round up like a quick bunch of comedy things that happened over the weekend, right? Jameis went down Jameis style. That was amazing. Got to his 30 th- for 30. Got to his walk-off pick six in the wrong direction. Um, Jameis has thrown seven pick sixes this year, which is the most in NFL history. It's also, he has scored for the opposition as many times as Marcus Mariota or Dwayne Haskins scored for their own team. Seven pick sixes. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers has two in his, what, 14-year career? There's only been like 12 seasons where quarterbacks have thrown for over 5,000 yards. Now, Winston's one of them. Yeah. So we've got over 5,000 yards. The first 30-30 guy. Right. Bruce Arians. seven pick six guy. Bruce Arians comes out and says... Like, it's amazing. There's so much good and so much absolute, uh, I can't remember the words. It was like absolute terribleness. Like, it, Bruce Arians came out and described Jameis the way we've been the describing way we do it, it, yeah. which is it's either amazing or horrendous and nothing in the middle. Radical candor. And then Jameis is going to go straight from this to being like, I want $30 million a year, one for each pick. Um, for that headache. And he came out and had this weird-ass press conference where he was like, look, if I could just cut down on the interceptions, I'd be like the best quarterback in the NFL. Oh, that's my line. Right. And he'd be like, sure, but that's a, that's a significant if that's getting bigger by the yeah. year. But again, the reason why he was able to throw for 5,000 yards is because he's taking those chances into zero window. How about some of those throws he made into no window where he puts it right on his guy's hands yeah. or throws it to Prashad Perryman around coverage and all that stuff? It all goes hand in hand. Right. It's just I'm fascinated by the whole Jameis thing now. He's, him and Fitzpatrick are the two most entertaining quarterbacks in the NFL um, for broadly the same reason. Now, given all that happened yesterday, I think this will end up being his lowest graded season that he's had. Given all of that, and over 40 turnover-worthy plays this year for him, including the fumbles and everything. Just unbelievable season. Anyway, perfect ending, though. Pick six, walk off, just Jameis all over. That was Um, incredible. Other crazy things that happened yesterday. The Dolphins beat the Patriots. They did. And screwed them out of the seed because of it. Kansas City was able to jump them. I I can't imagine Chiefs fans went into yesterday all that optimistic that they were going to be getting a bye. No. Dolphins, all the Patriots had to do is beat the Dolphins at home. Which they had done like 11 straight times or something. Yeah. Uh, And really, it's the story of Miami season, right? Nothing was good except Devontae Parker or Fitzpatrick to Devontae Parker. And this was Devontae Parker going one-on-one with Stephon Gilmore, most people's defensive player of the year candidate heading into that game. Devontae Parker and Fitzpatrick, I guess, single-handedly as a combination, decided to take a steaming crap all over (laughs) Stephon Gilmore's defensive player of the year candidacy. He got gashed for over 100 yards for the first time this season. Seven catches, 119 yards, all against Devontae Parker, and almost all in... You know, contested situations in, like, tight window and Devontae Parker just winning at the catch point. It was a couple of points where Devontae Parker just absolutely bossed him. Yep. Um, Fitzmagic and needed a game-winning drive to get it done as well. Straight down there, not a problem. So that was the difference, too. Like, Brady didn't play well at all. It might end up being his worst-graded game we've ever seen. 
uh, once it lands on the website. It was terrible. Pick six, brutal overall. Uh, missed throws, had opportunities. But then they still made the fourth quarter comeback, right? Mm-hmm. After all that said, the Patriots go down, they drive down, they make the fourth quarter comeback, and then they leave a little bit of time for the opposing defense, uh, for the opposing offense. But how many times have we seen that? Brady leads the comeback, you know, either ends the game or the defense locks it down and it's over. And the Dolphins just marched down the field and scored the game-winning touchdown. And that was it. And left the Patriots about 25 seconds or whatever to try to get into field goal range, which didn't happen. So, now the Patriots, A, have to play on wildcard weekend. For the first time since the 2009 season. B, have to host the Tennessee Titans, who have the better quarterback right now. Oh, Tannehill's playing out of his out mind. Out of his mind. Has the wheels have not fallen off yet, and Tom Brady is not playing that well. Since their bye week, Tannehill and A.J. Brown are the highest graded at their respective yeah. positions. So they've got the passing attack in Tennessee that's just rolling. Mm-hmm. Derrick Henry, yes, who just has those high-end games as a runner, over 200 yards yesterday to win the rushing title. High, you know, And if you do take away the passing attack and you do lighten the box, like he'll run over some people when he wants to. And then a defense that's a little banged up in the secondary, but capable. You know, improved pass rush this year. Still have Kevin Byard back there. Still have some playmakers on the back end that is don't we've joked like you don't want to see tennessee in the playoffs but so yeah we i mean we we made the point that I nobody wants to face them right they yeah. are they're a team heading into the postseason should they make it which they did that i don't know that anybody wants to play right of all the teams that could play them i think new england wants to play them the least because yeah. i don't think they match up particularly well against them now new england's defense has obviously played outstanding for the most part mm-hmm. this season but it, but we all, we've said all year it's really difficult to bank on your defense every week. This right. week it failed them in crunch time against the Dolphins or it failed them on key third downs against the Dolphins. That's not to say like if the Patriots came out next week and we'll talk about it more later in the week. But if they right. came down and like shut down the Tennessee offense, you wouldn't be completely surprised. No. But it's not something you're going to go in and just say, well, the defense is going to shut down Tennessee. It'll be on Brady just putting a few drives together. You have to expect that the Titans are going to get theirs unless. The Tannehill regression that we've been waiting for every single week be, just randomly hits. That would be the most ridiculous thing ever is if for the entire season Tannehill's kept it going and then one playoff game reverts. And then he looks like Dolphins right, Tannehill. Reverts right. back into like low-end Dolphins Tannehill and yeah. just the whole thing falls to pieces. So, that would be pretty fitting. Much like any Titans game this year, anything can happen. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if the Titans dropped 40 on the Patriots in New England, I wouldn't be that shocked. Or if they got shut down and only scored 14, I don't think I would be that shocked you know but it is it's a a crazy turn of events the chiefs took care of business against the chargers and and they you know it's like a new look chiefs team it's not you know it's an 80 yard run here and there with damian williams but it's not really mahomes just driving them up and down the field left and right and just torching opposing defenses it's it's a good defense with a little bit of run game and a little bit of mahomes and it's a more balanced overall Kansas City team? Tyreek Hill did it to him again. This is the second 80-yard touchdown run by Williams where Tyreek Hill has, like, run him down from 15 yeah. yards away. Just I honestly think just it's to just, show off the just, yeah, just to mock him at this point. Just to get the next-gen fastest player award? Just to, like, run him down and be like, you know, run faster. You're not going that quickly. Yeah. So the AFC playoff picture, we'll get into all of the wild card stuff. So I'm done with week 17. Do you have anything else you want to talk about from week 17? Um, Ravens took care of business. RG3 is really not that good. Really isn't. Rashad Perriman turned into Julio Jones over the last three weeks of the season. Um, Jacoby Brissett, I think, solidified that he's not the future. Hmm. Not this week, but I think the Colts have to look forward to, to looking for another quarterback. He struggled down the stretch. 
and the Bengals beat the Browns. They did. The Bengals got their best-case scenario. Ruined the Browns. Freddie Kitchens gets fired. They were saying, there was a report heading into that game that Week 17 was going to determine Freddie Kitchens' future. That is, um, if, a if game, that's true, yes. that's a bad process. Really is. Yeah. If, a, if a Week 17 game that literally changed nothing for either team against the Bengals, who heading into that game had one win, determines whether your head coach is staying or not for next year, your process is so flat-ass broke that I don't even know what you're doing. It's bad. Yeah. If that was if that was the truth. But they did lose. And so Freddie Kitchen's gone. There's going to be a lot of changes. I kind of like that, that he gave them a cue. So, you know, the game the game goes bad. They lose. Freddie's got to do a press conference. That kind of sucks. Obviously, one of the first questions is, so, you know, job, Freddie, how's that going to look? It's like, I'm going to keep doing my job until they tell me to stop. Like five minutes later, oh, stop. Stop. Stop, get out, stop and get out of the building right now because somebody else is taking this job. Bye-bye. And he's out. Yeah. So plenty of talking points for the Browns this entire. And honestly, we'll get to it in a second. Like, I'm usually big on giving guys some time. You know, one year to change a lot of things for head coach is usually pretty tough, but it was hard to find a way that makes that look good for Freddie Kitchens in terms of moving in the right direction. A lot of things were going wrong for Cleveland this year, almost all of which would seem to ultimately trace their way back to the head coach. Are you saying it's going to be a part of your hits and misses? Yeah. Potentially? Yeah, yeah. Before we get to it, let's tell everybody about our awesome shirts from Proper Cloth. I enjoy mine. You have yours, a cactus shirt. It's all custom-made. It's over at propercloth.com slash PFF. You guys can get $20 off your first shirt, which we highly recommend because they're awesome, mm-hmm. and it's so easy to build. I, you can build it. You can. From, from scratch. Well, that's the only way you would end up with a shirt that looks like this. Yeah, Cactuses so, and the loud. weird flower things. I went with, like, dad of three, yeah. clean cut. Uh-huh. You went through. You went to midlife crisis. Midlife crisis? I don't yeah. think this is a midlife crisis shirt. Oh, it's, well, it's more like, I don't know. George described it as a Family Guy shirt. No. Uh, oh, Modern, modern, modern family. family. Sorry. Yeah, Modern Family. Yeah, Cam for Modern Family. Yeah, yeah. You know, he likes to roll the cuffs and get the, mm. get the patterns and all that. That's not really a midlife crisis. It's I like nice, this though. shirt. It's nice. I like this shirt. But if you're having a midlife crisis or you're just a dad of three. You can get cacti and flowers in yours. They have something for you. They do. Yeah. The cacti have grown on me. Yeah, well, I look, chuckled at first. But. You did. You mocked the shirt to begin. I think that's the way the shirt goes, right? Everybody yeah. mocks it on first sight, and then as it goes by, you're like, hey, I kind of like the cacti and the flowers and stuff. If you guys do take advantage of our offer and buy a cactus shirt, please send us a picture. If you have any shirts, if you guys do take advantage of this, please send us the pictures because mm. I want to see what you guys got. I want to see what your custom made shirt is. I love the fact that I got sleeves that fit. I've got the body that fits. Everything's the body that fits. Well, the body of the shirt. <laughs> yes, no, I understand. that fits my. Weird ass, right? Increase. I will in size say body. so. You know the, it's great that they start so cheap. You know, like eighty dollars for a fully tailored customized shirt is pretty ridiculous. But like the high end stuff, like we, I got one shirt that was you know on the high end of the price range just to feel like what it, what a shirt of that yeah. like, quality feels like. Oh, it's, it's really nice. It's pretty special. It's really nice. Yeah. Like so. if I was if I was a rich baller, I'd I'd have a whole wardrobe full of those things. Yeah, and you'd also get your twenty dollars off. Using the promo code PFF20, it's propercloth.com mm-hmm. slash PFF. Promo code is PFF20, $20 off your first shirt. See why Proper Cloth is the best custom shirt maker. Propercloth.com slash PFF. If you come up, if you create yourself any, you know, spectacular designs, because you can come up with some pretty special stuff on that site, right? Between pattern for the 
uh, like the stop pattern for the, the accent panels or whatever they're called, you can create some pretty special looking shirts. If you send us a picture and it's officially badass, you can win yourself a free PFF Edge and Elite. I like it. We'll, I, we'll I think accept, we do that. We'll accept all shirt designs. Mm-hmm. Send a screenshot, propercloth.com, and we'll, what do we said? Edge or Elite? Edge? Whatever. It depends how cool the shirt is. Okay. It depends on how cool it is. Send us the design and maybe you'll get some, some free PFF as well. Yes. I like it. All right, let's get into what we got right and what we got wrong mm-hmm. during the season. Yes. Um, do you want to go back and forth? How do you want to do this? Yeah, you want yeah. to do the wrong stuff first? Everybody likes to know yeah. we're wrong. Let's go back and forth. We'll do one each. Okay. Why don't you start? Uh, all of the Cleveland Browns. What we, got, we need like a good sound bite for this. Somebody put it. What we got wrong. Something like that. That's a good sound bite? No, something much better than that is what we got. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Something to that effect. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Browns, like they were favored. Vegas had them favored for the division heading into yeah. the season. We, or at least I, bought into the hype to an extent. I thought the Baker to OBJ connection would be phenomenal. You know, OBJ had put up some incredible numbers, done some amazing things with Eli as his quarterback over the past few years. Eli was not good when it came to accuracy, ball location. Baker was. Especially down the field. Everything we'd seen from Baker, between college, between first year in the NFL, this guy can make special throws. He can put the ball where it needs to be. His accuracy is good. Connect him with a receiver that's going to win consistently, get wide the hell open. Magic. Um, And then everything was a disaster this year. Baker has been playing like crap. He's been making more bad uh, throws than ever before. He's been not making as many good throws as ever. Like, his entire play just disappeared in terms of quality. He regressed massively. The OBJ connection wasn't there. Even this week, right, he makes a spectacular touchdown, the back corner of the end zone, and then, like, a few plays later, drops a ball on a dig. Like, what? I don't understand. If you're going to make the special play, make the routine one as well. He's been as, uh, as big a part of the problem as anything. We've talked before about how you can make an entire comedy low-light reel out of just their tap passes. Like, they're, the plays that they scheme to get cheap and easy yardage the way everybody else does, somehow all of theirs go wrong. Um, they've been penalizing. Like, the whole thing was just an unmitigated disaster. The only part of that offense that functioned all season long was Nick Chubb, who is like, you know, with respect to him. If there's the a least, place you want to be good, it's definitely right. running back. With respect to him, the least consequential player on the offense, and he was the only thing that was good. Yeah, I mean, Baker went from being charged with 15 pressures to being charged with 32. You could see early in the season the pocket presence was just off. Did you see and his average time to throw this week? What was it? It was like 3.6 seconds. That's ridiculous. Right. That's crazy. That's a crazy. Anytime you're over three, it's like yes. on the high end, right? Um, with Baker, again, we can, can we have a nuanced conversation here? No. His, he had so many unlucky interceptions this year. Right? That were just ridiculous, whether wrong route or drops or whatever it is. And he also regressed and didn't play that well. It's actually worse than I said. It, so his average time per pass attempt was 3.6 seconds. His average time in the pocket was 3.9. That's, that's insane. It's ridiculous. That is not, I've again, never seen you, that. When you use that number, when you have premium stats 2.0, PFF Elite, when you use that number, you're not using it to say, here's how good the offensive line was. No. It's, here's how the pl- yes. quarterback is playing or how the play call is working. If you're up over three, you're holding the ball probably too long. If you're at four, that's insane. I've never seen that before. I mean, unless I you have a couple freak, right? You know, scramble plays. I haven't really run the numbers to see how to see if that's the longest that any quarterback has ever had over a decent sample size in a game. But we'll it wouldn't shock me. Also, this is not like a couple of plays skewing this. Eighty-one percent of his drop banks took over two and two point six seconds. 
So Baker was holding onto the ball a freaking age in this game, and that doesn't help. So overall, everything about the Browns, all of everything about the Browns, I got wrong. I thought they would be good. They weren't. Think about all that they added to their defensive line. And, that too. And, the defense I thought would be pretty good. Right. They no. added a little bit to their secondary with drafting Greedy Williams. Denzel Ward looked really good as a rookie. Everything pretty much got worse yeah. in Cleveland, and that is why Freddie's no longer there. Freddie isn't there. Um, I'm going to go with what I got wrong being I'm going to start with the Falcons okay, and the Chargers. Let's say both teams. I thought both teams would be good. All right. And both teams were just massive disappointments. I saw somebody else put this out there and say, I had the Falcons and Chargers in the Super Bowl this year. Just wanted to put that out there. Um, but I think it was one of those things. I've, I usually work under this premise that if you have a quarterback that's in that top 10 range, mm-hmm. you're going to stumble into a baseline of a bunch of wins. And then you can make up for the rest of the things around you. And that did not happen with Ryan or Rivers. Neither guy played like a top 10 quarterback this year. They both had offensive line issues that were huge. Uh, the defense in, in no, almost at San Diego, in Los Angeles, didn't play as well as they had in previous years. The Falcons' defense was a disaster for the second straight year. Um, but I still think they're two talented rosters that completely underachieved this year and um, was wrong about. Was yeah. wrong about both of them. You were. The O-line issues proved to be, I think, way worse than we anticipated, especially Atlanta. Than we, like, we anticipated, hey, they might not be that great. Right. But it like really affected Matt Ryan's game. He he put the ball in harm's way way more than he usually does. Yeah, we at least anticipated that they probably didn't fix the offensive line by yeah. drafting them one two. Rivers is like used to playing like that, and when you have Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry and these guys to throw to, and that's the other thing about Atlanta, they got Julio, they have Calvin Ridley, they have Austin Hooper, they have all these guys to throw to. You can usually mitigate the offensive line enough. Right. And it just didn't. And as much as Rivers is used to playing in that scenario, I think he's reached the point, a bit like Tom Brady, where he can't overcome it anymore. Yeah, you at some point, you need the help. You can't put them in that situation every single right. week. Um, all right, so that was your screw-up. Um, are we going to go back and forth on screw-ups, or are we going to go to Let's do all right? the screw-ups first, and then we'll, then we'll try and redeem right. ourselves. Your turn. We got right. I thought Quinn and Williams would hit the ground running. Um, our sort of college to NFL translations, the guys that have just gapped everybody in terms of grading on the defensive line have always had this really smooth transition and even this year for the most part that's true like nick bosa is one of the best grades we've ever given nick bosa hit the ground running exactly like his brother did um quinn and williams was absolutely freaking dominant last year in college i thought he would hit the ground running be a very good disruptive interior pass rusher from year one not completely anonymous almost all year long even when he was halfway good it was against the run like, as a pass rusher, he's brought almost nothing, I, which is a huge 19 shot total to pressures on 348 rushers. Right, rushers. that's like half the total of ru- pressures as DJ Reader, a 340-pound nose tackle. Like, yeah. that's terrible. It doesn't mean we'll give up on him, but, yeah, Quinnen wasn't great in year one, and I think if you look back at even though defensive line has been the easiest thing for us to, to see translate, um, the two probably bigger misses, the guys who dominated in college who just haven't had to translate, Quinnen Williams and Jonathan Allen. Hmm. Both guys from Alabama who in their last year at Alabama, like Jonathan Allen was getting Heisman hype. Yeah. Quinn and William was get, Williams was getting Heisman hype. But they were that good at Alabama, and neither guy really has uh, seen that happen at the NFL level yet. Quinn and, of course, only in year one. Right, and Allen has at least flashed it. Like, you know, he's dealt with injuries as well. Sure. Um, but when he wasn't injured, he's actually, you know, had some reasonable pass rush. Will, Williams, Joe, nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing yet. All right. What else did I miss on? Yeah, what else did you screw up? 
I don't know if it's a screw up as much as the Eagles. So just in general, <laughs> the Eagles all got hurt. Well, yeah. So heading into the season, we gave the Eagles the number one offensive line in the NFL. And the thing that really pissed everybody off, the number one receiving core in the NFL. In my in my reasoning behind I, I pushed hard for them to be the number one yeah. core because in my reasoning behind it is because they had answers to everything. Well, also, so it's important to note this is receiving core, not just wide receivers. It includes tight ends, right? right? So tight ends, running backs. backs, where they have, you know, they had a lot of talent. Coming into the season. What you didn't foresee is all of them getting injured. Literally all of them. Yes. Right? Dal- is Dallas Goddard the only one that hasn't He's gone down? The last one standing amongst the guys that, like, made us put them number one. Five, so six, seven, eight. They, they've at least lost eight guys. Yeah. That's so Zach. Impressive. Um, sorry, starting at receiver, Alshon Jeffrey. He, here's your big-bodied contested catch type. Check. Deshaun Jackson, every time he's been on the field. Stretch the field, deep yeah. threat. And we've, we've run a ton of numbers. We got a, we've got some stuff coming out in uh, the coming weeks that actually try to quantify just how important a guy like Deshaun Jackson has been. And him in particular, just he's elevated passing offenses since the late last decade. Mm-hmm. He was added to the mix. Okay, you've got to stretch the field guy. Check. Nelson Aguilar as a number three, as a slot receiver. That was a good fit for him a couple years ago. That change. Check. Then you have the two tight ends. Zach Ertz, high-volume possession tight end. He's outstanding. Top three or four receiving tight end. Dallas Goddard emerging. Probably the best number two tight end in the entire NFL. Mm -hmm. Mismatch type of guy. All of those guys got hurt except Goddard. And all those guys were not on the field yesterday except Goddard. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, a guy we liked in college, comes out. And you're thinking, well, it's number four, number five. Right. He can make a few contested catches, do some nice things. They'll be unstoppable in the red zone with the tight ends and J.J. and Jeffrey and all that stuff. The running backs out of the backfield. You've got an aging Darren Sproles, who's a real fact. You've got Miles Sanders, who we really liked. Like Every single one of those guys is hurt except Goddard. So I I thought that Carson Wentz, because of that situation and because of his ability to make high-end plays, mm-hmm. would be an MVP candidate and would put up crazy numbers similar to 2017, and it just didn't happen. Yeah. Wrong. Mm-hmm. That would be a good sound to have. Just <laughs> wrong. There's a, what's that show? Just uh, record that and keep playing it. Damn it. What is that? There's like a TV show where they have that, the, like the Family Fortunes or whatever. Family like, Feud? Yeah, we call it Family Fortunes across the pond. You call Family Feud Family Fortunes? I believe so. Um, they have that's their buzzer not a noise I think right when you get a wrong one it's like eh, eh. yeah we should have that for this all right so I'm saying the video guys you know, dive in, in there search family fortunes for the right one I don't know if you have the same noise but that's the noise you want where else were you wrong uh, the Ravens being this good so in the same division um, as the Browns obviously I thought the Browns would be really good I, I didn't one of the reasons I thought that they would win the division is that I didn't think the Ravens would be very good um, for a couple of reasons one. Their defense did not look particularly great on paper heading into this season. We've all talked about every year they they put together this really great defense, but there was no pass rush evident. Now, there still really isn't. We've talked about how they're scheming it up more than there's uh, talent and pressure. We have a crack research staff. Oh, yeah? What do we got? Some of our live listeners who have access to the PFF database. Yeah. JK has alerted me that in 2015, week six, Michael Vick averaged 4.16 time to throw. Huh. Seconds, to, but it was only on 15 dropbacks. Yeah, so double the dropbacks and then tell me if anyone's had a higher one. John is typing. Yeah, oh, perfect. Sorry, go ahead. So, I, like their defense, I didn't think was that great on paper. There was no pass rush. The back end, although they had added Earl Thomas, it, it didn't look that great. You know, they've some, all the players there had some kind of question marks, and, you know, they, they've made some um, additions 
in the season that changed some of those things, right? As we talked about, they had gone hard after the secondary, but then they make trades. You know, they bring in a Marcus Peters who transforms things on the back end. They start doing some crazy stuff, or not crazy stuff, some clever stuff in terms of generating pressure through the blitz and scheming it up as opposed to expecting just players to win one-on-one. So the defense was transformed. And then obviously on offense, the thing that changed the most that I didn't see coming was Lamar Jackson's development as a passer. Right. Like we, you know, we talked all offseason about how he was by far the least accurate quarterback in the NFL, whether it's in terms of completion rate, in terms of adjusted completion rate, in terms of ball location stuff with our QB annual. When the data was all visualized, it was, you know, everybody in these in this band here. And then no matter the depth, it was Lamar down here on his own off the end of the scale. It's like, okay, even if he improves a bit, it's not going to be a seismic shift in what he's doing, but it has been. Like, he has had a completely seismic shift in his passing ability, and that's why he's gone from being a guy that wasn't graded very highly to not just being middle of the pack, but an MVP candidate or an MVP front runner right. because he improves so much, and that transformed the offense completely. You add that to the defense that was doing some really smart stuff, plus – you have John Harbaugh, who starts using numbers more than any other coach in the NFL in terms of when to go for it on fourth down, you know, He's when to the year. go for it in two-point situations, all that kind of stuff. So the, the, everything about the Ravens manifested itself completely differently to how I expected it to. Swing and a miss. Can I spin that into the couple things that we kind of got right in that, though? No. Why not? Because we're going to get to that after. But that's not, one of my, that's not one of my list. I'll, I'll just say this. about We didn't expect Lamar to develop – from an accuracy standpoint, the way he did this year. But going back to the pre-draft evaluation, we said if you build the offense around him, there's an offense to be built there. Now, oh, yeah. I was not expecting the offense to be built to be this explosive. I expected and this it dominance. to be functional, not like right. wrecking ball. So I at least credit the Ravens for trying to build an offense around Lamar and doing it successfully. The most rushing yards we've seen in NFL history, and Lamar led the league in touchdown passes. And we did say if you build the offense around him, it'll make the passing game easier. And if you run really well at an extreme level, I think that will help open up the passing game. That's what we've seen. If you have the quarterback, that can be a runner. And then as far as the team-building effort goes from the Ravens, even though the defense lost names, we said, well, from a PFF data standpoint, they're building from back to front, the secondary. They're, they're going to manufacture pass rush. And they did that. We said, look, they're, they don't have Terrell Suggs or uh, Darius Smith. They don't have guys that can get after the quarterback anymore. So they're just going to scheme it up. So they blitzed over 50% of the time, built up the secondary into one of the NFL's best, and that's how they've won in a creative way. So there are pieces of what the Ravens did where we said, okay, this aligns with how we would do things. We just didn't think it was going to be that good, and that's why they're the best team in the NFL. All right, what else did you screw up? All season on this podcast, I very adamantly said that the Broncos are a six-win team. Mm. They won seven. Hmm. That wrong. Yeah. Uh-uh. That feels weak. That's why I was wrong. Did I can't. We didn't. You never. You never re-upped that Brandon Graham was going to get to ten sacks, did you? He landed at nine. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> did send us a message to say, "Did he get there?" Uh, he had five in two games and only got to nine. Oh, that saved me. Another lunch. Thank you. Yeah, so that wasn't. Uh, I missed on Brandon Graham getting yeah. to ten sacks. You did at least recognize it enough to not double down on the bet. No, so that was good because that would uh, have been silly. The other big miss, I think, would be. I think we all anticipated, like everyone else, that the Dolphins had the worst roster. They were destined for an zero and sixteen or a one and fifteen year. 
I mean, I didn't think they were as bad as they showed early in the year where they were, gave up 59 and then They're 43. They're picking like fifth, right? Ryan Fitzpatrick yeah. dragging that team to a better win spot than four other sides is insane. He might be the MVP. The most valuable player in the NFL drags, Ryan, drags a zero-win team to five. Ryan Fitzpatrick, MVP, Devontae Parker, Offensive Player of the Year, and Brian Flores, Coach of the Year. Right, for, for what they did. A, an NCAA team to the fifth spot so, of the draft. That's the other place I think we were wrong. The Dolphins looked like they were by far the worst team in the league and, and not even going to be competitive. Yeah. And then they became competitive, at least down the stretch, and then won a bunch of games that mm-hmm. uh, was unexpected. All right. Should we talk about what we got right? Yeah, let's talk about what you can start. What would you get right? Uh, Jameis remained Jameis. The new coaching staff, the new system, oh, Bruce Arians will transform things. No, it's just Jameis but more. It's like all we <laughs> did was amplify game. the reactivity. And you ended up with a quarterback that went 30 for 30 through seven pick sixes, led the league uh, in turnover-worthy plays, had a bunch of big-time throws, still was the most positively graded quarterback or one of them. Like it was just, it just, it literally just intensified the Jameis that we know and expect every single season. You nailed it. Yeah, and that's going to be the case every single year, forever. But he, you know, he nope. could have forty turnover worthy plays next year, but only twenty of them become turnovers. Never going to happen. And that's the year he throws for fifty five hundred yards and turns Prashad Perryman into Julio Jones again. Mm-hmm. You never know. It's never going to happen. All right, we were also right about the Bears' regression. Yeah, we spent a lot of offseason arguing about how good is Mitch Trubisky. And, you know, we tried to poo poo the idea that your team always gets better every year. I know it's easy as a fan. I don't like to take optimism away, Sam. I know you're a big <laughs> optimism killer. I, I hate to crush the dreams of fans. I just, just, I just I just want a little bit of realism. Look, the Bears, they had a, year, a second year quarterback last year and they won the division, hosted a playoff game and missed a field goal where they would have advanced to the, to the divisional round. Mm. So, therefore, they're certainly going to get better in year three under that quarterback with a lot of the same guys coming back, but that was never truly going to be the case. The defense was always destined to regress a little bit, especially with Vic Fangio moving on. Trubisky essentially throw-for-throw throw, played very similar this year to how he did last year, had a lot of luck in 2018 that led to better offensive output, and they were just destined to regress yeah and they landed at eight and eight yeah and with a big win over the vikings backups to get there the so backups. i think the bears regression was um was a slam dunk that was an easy one the vikings backups genuinely almost beat the bears yesterday yeah they did that's that's with sean Mannion a quarterback what yeah. you got what else uh the sean McVay coaching tree isn't exactly flourishing right now no um the rams took a fairly hard step backwards um and you know, there's personnel problems there. They were missing receivers for a lot of the year. They, their offensive line kind of fell to pieces. But schematically, they did not look great for most of the year. Um, Cincinnati, obviously not good. And, you know, as much as they won a couple of games with Andy Dalton there, they look better. But they, like, that, it's not like that offense was transformed schematically because this system came in and, you know, took the league by storm, yada, yada. Green Bay, um, they are winning. They're doing really well. But a lot of this is off the back of the defense, not the offense. Um, they have scored 30 fewer points than the Minnesota Vikings, who don't exactly have a you know, phenomenal juggernaut of an offense. Ten fewer than the Falcons, who you know suck for most of the year. This Packers offense has a lot of the same problems they had, or a lot of the same problems and questions they had a year ago. You know, as much as the overall um, 
outlook for the Packers this year has been way better, obviously. It's not like, again, this McVay system comes in and everything is transformed. So in a, in a season that I thought was pretty big for this sort of coaching tree in terms of can it evolve or has the NFL figured out how to slow this system down, it's starting to look like teams of, or the NFL has kind of got a handle on this now. Or is it the Shanahan system, though, which is flourishing in San Francisco? Mm-hmm. Should it just always be under Shanahan slash Kubiak? Well, um, you know, the, everybody that ever met Sean McVay was getting a coaching job last year, right? None of them have exactly, none of them have taken what he did, built right, right. on it, and had the same success right. from that from that side Rams, of the ball. Rams included, as you said. Yeah. So, yeah, there's something to uh, that's something to keep an eye. on. I think it's going to be another big story next year. Is seeing how they, you know, Cincinnati in year two with probably Joe Burrow and. You know, how they continue to uh, progress. Mm -hmm. Before I get to my next hit, quick break to tell you about our friends over at Western and Southern. It doesn't matter if it's football or financial wellness. The right questions will always give you the best chance for a win. Western and Southern has partnered with us here at PFF to give you a chance for an up-close and personal look at the X's and O's that will lead to both financial and football success. You see Chris answering questions all over. He's all over Twitter Mm. answering questions all the time because if you're looking for insight on your financial future or need an inside-the-huddle tip – Head to westernsouthern.com slash ask-chris, C-R-I-S, to ask Western and Southern and PFF your most pressing questions. You can even win tickets to the big game or just have your question answered right there on social media from the boss, Chris. westernsouthern.com slash ask-chris. And who knows where he's going to be answering them from because the lineup, the venue lineup for these videos has been pretty spectacular. That's my favorite thing. You never know where it's going to be. Yeah. Could be straight from the field. It could be on a plane. It could be anywhere. So be sure to go check it out. Um, So one of the things I was right about, I anticipated an increase in production from Dak Prescott and perhaps some added hype with Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator. And I remember tweeting before the season, I said, does this say more about Dak or does this say more about Kellen Moore? And I think we can still, the play caller, and we could still say that's a question mark. I think there are many advanced analytical numbers, if you're just looking at production, that say Dak had by far his best season even just using simple stuff like yards per attempt 8.2 career high with 30 touchdowns passer rating was 99.7 but all the epa driven stuff everything is pointing to the cowboys passing offense was outstanding Dak cut down on his sacks by a mile from 58 times getting sacked in 2018 down to 23 so they were just more efficient all overall but his general grade throw for throw grading was kind of similar to what he did his rookie season was not that different so i think we're still sitting here with looking at dak prescott as a guy who's capable of high-end middle-tier quarterback play that's what he's capable of i still think he's a mid-tier quarterback capable of mid-tier high mid-tier quarterback play much like a kirk cousins and when you pair that with a guy like amari cooper and an emerging michael gallup and despite all the drops that, that dallas had you have plays like yesterday, Amari Cooper going up and just bossing guys at the catch point. Overall, those playmakers help to elevate Dak in the play in the play calling. Mm-hmm. Help to elevate Dak into a very productive season. I think he's even a good though ex- they didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, I think he's a good example of a guy where, like, two weeks into the season, it's like, wow, this is this is a whole new player. Kellen Moore's offense, the Cowboys look spectacular. They're incredible, and it's kind of cooled off you know now he's just back to being all right this is like as good as he gets which is decent but not like 
you know, not changing the world levels. It really, he is, he is one of those really polarizing guys. I think, you know, Cam has had some of that. Um, you know, he's been polarizing through the years. I think guys like Philip Rivers, like Rivers doesn't always win, but he puts up numbers, you know. Um, I think Dak is going to land there. You have Troy Aikman going to bat for him, saying he's a guy, go pay him, right? You have advanced analytics saying everything's good. This, And there's something to be said for with this guy at the helm and some of these other pieces, we've produced a really good passing offense. Mm-hmm. But it's just a matter of going back and saying, is it because that guy's at the helm or is it because of everything that's around him plus this um, – you know, better play calling and I mean, just yeah. smarter stuff coming from Kellen Moore. I think at this point he's shown enough that you should be paying him. The problem is you committed $90 million to a running back, so you're, that, in, you're in a spot. That is part of the issue. But, yeah, so we anticipated some better production out of Dak, and that's what we got this year. All right. Um, I was right about Terry McLaurin. There's no Here's kidding. the thing, right? I know. We can also expand this to add in A.J. Brown, right? Because I think we had A.J. Brown as our second best receiver available we had him and dk metcalf right right up there as one him and dk metcalf in the first round um and obviously aj brown has been phenomenal down the stretch you can expand it to Nikhil harry yeah that's true so yeah so we generally were right about aj brown right but me more specifically this (laughs) is why this is why you mock my senior bowl approach and yet the senior bowl approach identified the hidden gem that is terry mclaren because he went out there and roasted everybody that tried to cover him and like ooh. This guy looks pretty good. And you wouldn't have found that if you were just digging through Ohio State for like the three times they threw him the ball last season in between trick plays to Paris Campbell. No, you, you need the senior bowl. You see him against other elite competition. Terry McLaren just smoked everybody. And then out there as his rookie, uh, as a rookie, number one receiver in Washington, despite dealing with crappy quarterback play for most of the year, dude's a stud. A high five. There we go. And yeah, Nikhil Harry still can't separate. You were right about Harry, inability to separate. Uh-huh. Um, I think I wanted to flip A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf on our receiving rankings. I was like, yeah, Mike, you know, why is A.J. Brown not our number one receiver? You know? mm-hmm. So I was right about that guy. Okay. Yeah. Good job. All right. My last thing where I was right about, Dalvin Cook. Uh-huh. We had another viral tweet before the season. People called me crazy. Hmm. What would you say? People thought I was just trolling. <laughs> People thought I was reacting to one Dalvin Cook 70-yard preseason run. But I said, when healthy, Dalvin Cook is better than Todd Gurley or Zeke. And while Dalvin is hurt right now, when he was healthy, absolutely better than Zeke or Gurley, just as he always has been. Yeah, and I don't know that it's certainly not Zeke. His situation was dramatically better than Zeke. Like I yeah. think it's better than Todd Gurley, which is why Gurley's not been good at all this year. Dalvin's explosive and pretty sweet. I mean, the situation as a whole, like, hey, you run a lot outside zone. They put him in space a little bit, even if the run blocking hasn't been great. But Dalvin's just uh, awesome with the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. I'll add to that, too. Just before I watched the first preseason game, New England destroyed the Detroit Lions. And I said, that looks like the slowest offense in the league. So I thought I did a pretty good job of identifying the teams that did not have great playmakers. And despite that looking wrong halfway through the season for certain teams, ultimately it came true. So the Patriots have i think still the slowest offense in the league Mm -hmm. and i think that's showing up on sunday and there was a point where we've mentioned this before the raiders and the jaguars looked like they were doing a nice job with Derek carr and gardner Minshew spreading the ball around but ultimately i thought they looked like they had bottom five level uh you know just receiving course right and even though dj chark really emerged for the jags darren waller emerged for the raiders i think ultimately just not having enough weapons in oakland or in jacksonville did them in and that's why 
I'm going to tell the Raiders and Jags, double up on receivers, double up on playmakers this year. Just add some explosiveness and guys that can get open to your offense. And maybe next year, a guy like Minshew as the distributor will be able to put up some numbers. And Derek Carr, who had like a solid, he had a solid season on the conservative end, but give him some guys to throw to, and he still has that 2016 high-end season maybe capable of. The emergence of Darren Waller was one of the surprises of the season. It was. It was he incredible. has become a legitimate matchup problem on a top-end receiving tight end for a guy that was a college-wide receiver playing in a triple-option offense, then made it into the NFL as like a fifth-round pick, suspended multiple times for substance abuse, Yep. ultimately claimed off the Ravens' practice squad, I think they dabbled with turning him to, into a tight end. And the Raiders barely play him last year in the offseason tournament, turn him into a superstar. Right. And so the funny thing about the Raiders, they had the right idea. Bring in, bring in, uh, bring in Antonio Brown, Tyrell Williams, and then they were, you know, you have your deep breath, deep threat. I You've mean, got your if there, Antonio if, Brown who could do everything. If Antonio Brown doesn't turn out to be a complete and total lunatic. For two teams on this list, by the, by the Patriots right. or the Raiders. The Raiders season in particular is completely different. Yeah. Like that offense with, that offense as it was right now with Antonio Brown in it is legit. Right. Because Hunter Renfro emerged as a pretty nice little slot weapon. You mentioned Waller, add Antonio Brown to that. Yeah, but it turns out Antonio Brown is legitimately crazy. Right. And there was a point where the Patriots looked like, okay, they might be able to trot out Antonio Brown and Josh Gordon and Edelman, and that all fell through, and, you know, they've landed it. You see, he, he rolled into New Orleans with a camera crew and an entourage yeah. after they specifically told him not to do that. He's not getting signed there. That was a lot no. of hype. I mean, I don't, think, I don't know if it was hype as much as – I think it's. I think what they said, I doing due diligence on people was probably true. Um, I think the other thing is that, uh, so he, whatever it happens, he's going to be on the exempt list until yeah, the right. whole uh, legal issues work themselves out. So I think at the very minimum, it was a, if we sign him, nobody else can thing. Like the last thing you want to happen essentially is to be surprised in the playoffs by a team that suddenly has Antonio Brown. Yeah, right. right? The one way of ensuring that doesn't happen is to sign him yourself block him right and make sure that whatever happens he's not playing for, right. against you not so, a bad idea i think whatever happens that the saints were not really in it for a long-term antonio brown marriage which reminds me a few weeks ago there was a report out there and if you see these reports i'm gonna warn you right now there were i talked to three general managers who said 25 teams are interested in bringing in antonio brown can you just think about that for a second <laughs> Do you think you could talk to three general managers who know what 20 other teams are going to do? Do you think that's even possible? Do you think GMs actually talk about, oh, yeah, we, I would sign Antonio Brown, and they just all tell each other I their see intentions? If, I want to see if Twitter is as tuned into this as we are, right? There is a specific reporter out there who appears that his entire life is, is built off fake made-up quotes. I texted three AFC uh, executives they said yada yada right literally everything he posts is manufactured off this some way shape or form just right? all fake sources relatively convinced that his entire existence as a as an insider is made up right and uh, i'm curious if if twitter knows who it is <laughs> yes please let us know no. hashtag let us know if shoot, you realize yeah. who's uh shoot me and steve a message up. with hashtag let us know and see if you know who the uh the journalistic bullshit artist is because i'm going to start that this year you talk, should talk to eight coaches who said uh, we'll sign Le'Veon that. Bell. We want to trade for Le'Veon Bell. You can't prove it, but I can just tell you I talked to eight people. You do that. I'm going to make a much bigger, bigger job this year of getting the anonymous scout take on things. Oh yeah, she's a year older now. She's six. I think she'd have some. She'll more have more takes. Yeah, she did a good job. Yeah, but you know, let's let's 
put a little bit more on our plate this year. Mm-hmm. All right, anything else you want to wrap it up with as far as hits and misses and things we got right, didn't get right? Uh, a couple of others that kind of just leap out as things that were different. Um, so yeah, I didn't think Seattle would be this good. I thought they were primed to really take a step backwards. The defense, uh, talent-wise, looked really a, not a patch on what it used to be. They've had a few players take big steps forward this year and sort of reverse the rot. Guys like Shaquille Griffin, a cornerback. Um, so them being in the playoffs, looking like a good team, albeit one that's getting pretty banged up at this point, is a big surprise. And then uh, Okariki. The Colts keep finding these Bobby Okariki. athletic linebackers yeah. who outperform expectations. Yeah, the Colts are an interesting team because they, they've drafted in volume. I say keep. This is two but it's two in consecutive years. Yeah, they, they draft in volume. They have a very specific athletic type of defensive player that they've been drafting, and I think they're, they're starting to piece together some an interesting defense that it's, it's, if they have a quarterback, hmm. will look better. I think that, to me, that's been the story of the Colts the last couple of years is they've found some pretty good role players, and I think they'll be able to stitch it all together, but they need to have better play at the quarterback position than they had this year with Jacoby Brissett, and then they had in 2017 with Jacoby Brissett. So I think there's something to that. Anything else we uh, hit or missed? And nothing else written down. Probably more, and people, I'm sure, will let us know. Let us know where we were wrong or when we were right. I mean, I when I was at Christmas, yeah, a little Christmas get-together, and uh, my wife's half-brother, half-brother? Step-brother. Sorry, she's got, half, she's got two half-sisters and two step-brothers. Okay. So one of the, the step-brother said that I the Dalvin tweet single-handedly won him his fantasy league. Huh. After I tweeted out, he went all in on Dalvin, right or wrong, and he, and he won the league. I should point out that we should say there's a pin right now in the Daniel Jones thing, right? I'm not buying into the idea we screwed that up necessarily yet. I don't think we've seen enough. I, I'm fine with the idea that Daniel Jones has already exceeded. Why are you bringing this up? Everybody if knows I don't bring this up. That's going to be the thing. Oh, you were wrong about whatever, but you don't bring up Daniel Jones. We already had a whole video where you said you don't believe in him last week. It got 9 million dislikes. (laughs) It's not. So Daniel Jones has already exceeded my expectations to a degree. On the other hand, it's not enough that I'm like, all right, we completely screwed that up. We thought he was a, you know, second, third round prospect, not a guy you take in the first round. And he had one of the highest turnover worthy play rates in the NFL hasn't made enough big things happen to overcome that, so the jury's still out. I'm going to call it a hit because I said he was Nick Foles. Nailed it. Early career Flacco. Nailed it. Huh. Either way, I'm just saying we haven't seen enough to be yeah, right or wrong on Daniel Jones yet. Now we could say that about a few different guys. Yeah. So, there. Addressed. You right on Troy Hill? Of course. Troy Hill. We, so I was talking to you about this, right? I don't know if they've done it consciously or not, but the Rams appear to have signed every single PFF superstar college cornerback that never had an athletic profile to get them drafted high. Yeah, right? athletic, def- athletically deficient, yes. productive Athletically corners. or, like, physically size-wise, right? So they've got Troy Hill, David Long, uh, Darius Williams from UAB, uh, Dante Dion from BYU, the guy, it's not, Boise State, rather. Um, yeah, it's like 5'8", 150 pounds or something ridiculous, right? They have, like, a whole stable of these guys. But they, they traded the farm to get Jalen Ramsey. So I don't know if it's conscious or not, but if it, if it is, I think it's a genius thing. I think what the PFF grading in cornerback terms specifically for college, I think what it's really good at doing now on, you know, after a few years to reflect on what these guys have achieved is 
I think it's really good at identifying guys that are very good players but might be physically or athletically deficient to the point where if you ask them to go one-on-one with Julio Jones, it's going to end badly every single time. Right. Troy Hill's a perfect example, right? Troy Hill is basically built like me, right? He's 5'10", 180 or something, right? And with the best will in the world, that against Julio Jones, 6'10", 220, runs a 4'3", is just going to go badly every single time, right? But you can find a role. But if you get a Jalen Ramsey, you draft or you bring in a proven superstar who you know can match up with those guys every single play, suddenly the guy that's built like me only has to go up against number two. That's a lot more achievable, right? So Troy Hill. the number two is achievable? Well, you know, Michael my size and speed. Oh, was, oh, oh I right? got you. Well, maybe not to speed anymore. But anyway, <laughs> my dimensions. Um, so Troy Hill suddenly removed from any responsibility of having to cover a, num- a legit number one for any period of time is honestly playing at a kind of Pro Bowl level, right? Now, there's the caveats to that is, well, he doesn't have to face anybody. But the point is, if you invest a ton of resources in going after the one proven superstar who you can match up, if you then, sp- if you then draft, like, numbers two through five, you just grab all the guys that grade like superstars in PFF's college system that nobody else is interested in because they're all 5'10", 180. You actually end up with a ridiculously good cornerback stable, and the only thing you did invest in was the big guy, the guy that you know is a stud. I, if that's deliberate, it's genius, and I honestly think that might be a really smart way of assembling a defensive backfield. Also, probably how the Rams have to do it without first-round picks. Yeah, for like the next, the next seven years. years is, is to continue, continue to find... Those PFF gems. Again, in terms of, like, comedy for the weekend, there was a great, like, frame of Sean McVay just sort of looking, you know, <laughs> looking uh, confused and dejected on the sideline. And then underneath it was, like, next first-round pick 2023 or something. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. Oh, we'll solve that. Um, I got one place we might be wrong Uh-oh. so far. What do you got? Our rookie cornerbacks that we liked weren't so great. Well, all of the rookie cornerbacks were bad, right? No, I know. But Byron Murphy who we thought would be a really nice fit in Arizona. They got him in the second round, thought he'd be a steal. I mean, pretty much Arizona's draft class, we thought that they hit every pick out of the ballpark. And Byron Murphy, slow start. Andy Isabella, slow start. So not great, I think, with the Arizona draft class as far as our expectations. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I think cornerback is a really hard position to come in and dominate straight away. It is. But DeAndre Baker... uh, bottom five or six corner for yeah, the Giants. Went, for him. Um, he has turned it around in recent weeks, so he's actually elevated himself to a bottom five corner mm. from pretty much the worst. <laughs> um, so DeAndre Baker elevated off to a slow start to a and Byron corner. Murphy off to a slow start. Greedy Williams, some ups and downs, but you know, uh, the rookie cornerbacks overall just haven't been good. Um, part of our analysis too was just saying, hey, we got to take a bunch of stabs at this position in mm-hmm. general, so we elevated them, but uh, we elevated them to a point where it would look, if you Drafted those guys in the first round. You're not getting your return just yet on those guys. Yep. Jamel Dean's been awesome, though. Yeah, he's the one guy as a rookie cornerback that's actually played pretty well. The number of touchdowns given up by the rookie cornerback class alone is pretty phenomenal. Nick Needham, nine. Byron Murphy, nine. DeAndre Baker, eight. Uh, Lonnie Johnson, seven. Those guys alone. How did Nick Needham end up grading? Not so great. Because he had a lot of good weeks in there, too. Yeah. And he was actually like, oh, it's pretty intriguing undrafted I mean, rookie for a while. But that's the nature of cornerback play. He's balanced out to kind of average, but it's been almost, it's been 100% roller coaster yeah. ride. Um, oh, here's a right. Oh, yeah. Adrian Amos to Green Bay uh, over Haha Clinton Dix. People won't acknowledge that as a right. People probably still think he sucks. 
Well, there's there's a segment of Bears fans who I think saw a graphic one time <laughs> after three weeks where we had Amos graded first, and they think that. Well, you guys have Amos as the best. You guys think Amos is the best safety in the league, and yeah. he's not. To be fair, there was one year where I think he was second by the end of it. But the point is, it's okay to say that a guy was a really good safety because he doesn't make mistakes. Yeah, and he continued to not like, make mistakes with yeah. Green Bay. Only five missed tackles. There's a made degree, a few plays on the ball, and he's there's been a solid. degree to which that is a fairly important part of a safety's play. And if you simply don't screw up ever in the course of the year, you're going to end up in a really good spot. Adrian Amos has really started to get on that Devin McCourty type of career path mccordy's not the flashiest safety but when we go back right. and look at the grading year over year it's just good 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 not a lot of missed tackles it's it's very similar to adrian amos so mm-hmm. nailed that one missed on the rookie corners all right is that it yeah We're wow, done. We, did. we wrapped it up season's over season is over week 17 in the books we had the fastest podcast we've had since the 80s and there we go we're gonna come back thursday and preview the wild card games yeah. And then we have to decide, do we want to get into some other, you know, if your team's not in the playoffs, we want you to listen too. Mm. So mm-hmm. we might have to get into some other storyline stuff, talk about some of the coaches and coaching misses. So, you know, we never know what we're going to talk about. It's not just going to be the playoffs, I don't never think, know. right? You never, you never know. know. But we're definitely going to preview all of the wild card games in depth this week. Can't wait till we get to the postseason and we're going to have the whole show on the uh, volatile quarterbacks. Not volatile, the quarterback periodic table of elements. The periodic table. When are we yes. going to do that? I don't know. Maybe championship week or something. Nah, yeah, you guys can start season. playing the music. Yeah, play getting, me off. We're going to play it out. Play me off. I'm done. Propercloth.com slash PFF. Get your shirt. $20 off. PFF20. Use your promo code. Look as, as good as Sam and I. All right. We'll see you guys Thursday. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray. In his NFL debut, that's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back, so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.